Today, we're continuing our look at the parables of Jesus, these stories that Jesus told. And uh, we've looked at a couple of them so far, the parable of the sower. And what was the one that we did last week? I forgot. Any of you remember? It's not good when I don't remember my own message. What was it? Ah, yes, yes, yes. The unmerciful servant. Right. And you can... uh, you know, that when I forget, I just go on YouTube and Facebook and, and watch it, sometimes with difficulty. <laughs> it's hard to watch yourself, but you can also listen. We are on several audio platforms as well, all right? So uh, today we're going to cover the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm telling you in advance, you think you know this story that Jesus told. You're going to see it in a very, very different light after uh, this morning, all right? So I want you to try and stay tuned in because when you hear the conclusion of it, you're going to scratch your head and turn it to the side and say, huh, I never saw it that way. Uh, But when you really inspect this text and you really do the work of trying to figure out what did they understand with this back then? You, you, it really jumps to life, okay? So this is found in uh, Luke chapter 10 in the Bible's New Testament. Now, it's only there. Uh, remember, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your New Testament. And uh, when you're reading parables, you always want to try and see if you can find it in more than one of those of those gospel accounts, right? So if Matthew wrote about it, you want to see if Mark did, you want to see if Luke did, you want to see if John did. Maybe some of you are brand new to the Bible. You say, I don't even know if I can trust the Bible's New Testament or these gospels, whatever they're called. I have plenty of material on our website about that and on our Facebook and YouTube channel. You visit with me and I can help you find it and chit-chat with you about the reliability of the New Testament, okay? But today we're in Luke chapter 10, and this, is, this parable is only found in Luke chapter 10, uh, and there are a couple of references that Jesus makes in this parable to two Old Testament law passages that are on your screen there, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus, all right? So I'm going to read this parable to you. You're probably pretty familiar with it already. Uh, on one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers his question with the question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Two questions, actually. So he answers, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. That's the Old Testament law of Moses that he's picking on there. He's an expert in the law, so presumably he knows it, and so, so, so he does. And he pulls another verse, and love your neighbor as yourself from good old Leviticus. So this this dude's a real expert in the law. He's got Deuteronomy, he's got Leviticus, and he's telling Jesus, this is what I see as the answer to this question. We'll get into that in a moment. So Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Wow. I mean, if Jesus said that to me, 
I would be pretty, I'd be pretty happy with that, you know. I, I would take that and say, well, that, this is about made my millennium if Jesus says I've answered correctly. But the guy goes further. So Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. What's the problem? You seem to know the answer to the question that you're asking. It's almost like it's a rhetorical question for you. You've asked the question, you've answered your own question. But verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. He wants to show that he's got the upper hand. He wants to show that he knows what he's talking about. He wants to show Jesus up a little bit, which is probably not a good idea. So he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? So the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus says, tells a little story. Now, for this little story to be told properly, I'm going to try something here. If I don't get much bite, uh, I'll do it another way. But I need a couple of volunteers. You don't have to say anything. You just have to come on the stage here and do exactly what I tell you. Is there anybody who's, who's up to the task? I don't care what your religious background is. Doesn't matter. You could be an atheist. Doesn't matter. I just need a couple of volunteers who will come up here and illustrate this for me. I see, I see Don Mann is coming. Our, our missionary is in the house. So he's going to come and illustrate this. Thank you, Pastor Don. You don't have to say one thing, okay? I need somebody else, though, because he's going to get mugged. Yeah, you can come. Yeah. You, look, you don't look like you could mug him, but that's okay. Just be careful of the wires, etc. all right? You, you don't have to wear the mask if you... If it's okay. You're not, you're not really facing me or it's all right. You could, if you want, you look, you look more like a mugger if you keep the mask on. So you keep your mask on. And I need a, I need a, just maybe one more person will make this just dandy. I think my brother should come. Oh, Don Man's brother is here. Okay, well, he's coming too. All right, okay, good. So we'll, we'll make this work with three. Are there any more? I, I could go with seven people and make this work. All right, okay, this, this, this will be good enough. Okay, Rose, you come. All right, so we've got four. Now, you've got you've to, you know, think logically with the story here and, you know, a little bit of playroom. And I'll let them come more to the center, uh, Kingston, so you can see them and try and use a wide-angle shot. We'll see if we can get all of them in so people online can see these wonderful folks who have graciously volunteered, all right? So here's a story that Jesus is going to tell. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. So, Don, you were the first person up here, so you're going to be the victim, the man who's walking. So I need two robbers to, you know, mug him. <laughs> so you go ahead and attack him and mug him and, and steal his wallet, and he ends up on the ground. There we go. That's perfect. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, now you, now you can go stand off to the side and we'll leave him on the ground, okay? So he's our mugging victim, all right? So he's been, he's been left, for de- left half dead, Jesus says. 
So they stripped him of his clothes. We'll leave that alone for now. They beat him and they went away and they left him half dead. He's in, he's in sorry, sorry shape. So a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So you can be the priest and you have to, you have to see him and you got to walk by to the other side and just walk to the other end of the stage, okay? You'll see how hard it is to do. Exactly. So you didn't, you didn't help him at all, at all, at all. And you go to the other side. So that's the, that's the priest who did that for us. And then uh, we've got a Levite uh, who does the same thing. So uh, you can be the Levite. And you, and you come and you see him and you say, uh-uh, not touching him, not helping him. I'm going to the other side. Good, excellent, perfect. But a Samaritan, Q Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, will he will say he she doesn't really matter. As he as he traveled, there where uh, uh, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So you take pity on this mugging victim. He went to him and bandaged, bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. We'll leave you to decide whether that had alcohol in it or not. <laughs> then he put the man on his own donkey. So you've got an invisible donkey up on the stage. So you've got to be able to pick him up. He's half dead, remember, so this might be a chore. Okay, well, that's, that's not working. Okay, well, okay, there we go, okay. And, and you put him on your own donkey. You've you got a donkey there. And, okay, and then, and then he go, and then you put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn. The nearest inn would be about a day and a half away, so it's a long ride on the donkey. <laughs> Okay, to an inn and took care of him. Good, okay. And next day he took two denarii. So that's two days wage essentially for labor. And you give them to the innkeeper. So let's say you're over on the other side already because he's made it with his donkey and, you know, he's looking better already. He looks a lot better already. Okay. So, and, and so uh, 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 go to the innkeeper and you say, look after him. You're at the inn. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any ex- extra expense you have. Okay. So we've got our three people here. We've got our priest, our Levite, and our, our Samaritan. And Jesus asked this question. And excellent job. Thank you. You're, 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 you're done. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> All right, so, so Jesus, Jesus asked this question. Watch the stage, watch the wires, and thank you for your participation. Camera will turn off and on. Uh, those of you who are online, just sit tight with us, okay? So Jesus asks the concluding question to the expert in the law. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor To the man who fell into the hands of robbers. This is a genius question that he's asking. Remember, the the expert in the law asked the question, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go now and do likewise. End of story. 
Now, this parable, uh, like many parables, often misunderstood uh, the third, fourth century, I think, uh, theologian Augustine, 350 AD, whatever he was, the third or fourth century, a brilliant theologian, but Augustine had a really bizarre interpretation of this parable. For him, the certain man, the, the mugging victim, represents Adam. For him, Jerusalem is the heavenly city of peace from which Adam fell. Jericho is the moon and thereby signifies Adam's mortality. Again, according to his interpretation, the thieves represent the devil and his angels. Stripping him it, it, it symbolizes that they stripped him of his immortality. Beating him, uh, it, that means that they persuaded him to sin. Left him alone half dead. As a man, he lives, but he died spiritually. I mean, all kinds of crazy, crazy views that he had of this thing. The priest and the Levite represents the Old Testament priesthood. The donkey represents Jesus' body of his incarnation. The word became flesh. Jesus was a person of flesh and blood, so that's what the donkey represents. The innkeeper represents the apostle Paul. What? Like, what's a, that's a really, really complicated way of trying to interpret. Interesting, but is this what Jesus meant when he told this story? I don't think so. I think it's a much simpler thing that he's saying, but perhaps much more difficult to apply to your life. So the question is, how do we interpret this thing? What does it mean? And here's a tip for you. This will help you read the Bible no matter what you're reading in the Bible. If you can learn this principle in reading the Bible, it will help you. It, it will turn a light, on, light bulb on for you. When we learn what it meant to them, we'll know what it means for us. So you've got to figure out what did these people understand by what was written here or a story that was told the people back there who first heard it and first read it, what would it have meant to those people? Once I know that, the meaning is the same for me. I may apply it a little different, as you'll see today at the end, but the meaning remains the same, and that's what you've got to do with this story. So you've got a, the expert in the law, and you've got Jesus. Now, when the Bible says they're an expert in the law, it does not mean he's a lawyer. It means he knows the law of Moses. It means the first five books of the Bible, uh, which they call the Torah sometimes, or we call it the Pentateuch sometimes. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. So the first five books of your, of your Old Testament, the first five books of the law, this guy is an expert. He knows it like the back of his hand. He's an expert in the law. He understands what he's reading. So he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus these questions. And it says he stood up to test him. Now, probably there were people around. Because if you're going to stand up to test a rabbi, maybe you respect the rabbi. Maybe you're asking him a, an honest question because you respect his authority, and so you're going to ask him. But it says here he, he was testing him, so probably there's a little crowd around. We don't know how many people are around, but there must have been people there. 
I doubt that this was an isolated meeting with just Jesus and this expert of the law. And he says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's the question that he's asking Jesus before the death of Jesus, before the resurrection of Jesus, the expert in the law asking Jesus this question. What does he mean by the question? Well, he, 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 he's not saying, what must I do to go to heaven when I die? He's not asking that question. Because we would probably answer this question today. We'd say, well, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's, how, that's the answer to his question. That's not what he's asking. What he's asking is, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to live in sync with God's principles, with God's kingdom, with God's ethic now, in my life now, and even extending to when I die? So what must I do to live the kind of life that God wants me to live, that eternal life which even begins now? What must I do to inherit this? What must I do to get this? This is more the gist of his question. It's not as simple as, how do I get to heaven when I die? It's, it's much more about living your life now in preparation for when you die. But what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, well, what's written in the law? You're an expert, right? So look at the questions on the left-hand side that he asks. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he asks the question later, who is my neighbor? Jesus, in customary Jesus fashion, answers the guy's question with questions. <laughs> what is written in your law? How do you read it? Theory says, well, you're going to get your answer in the law, won't you? Isn't it what Moses wrote? Isn't it God's word? Isn't it what we believe? And so he says, well, how do you read it? And here the man turns and summarizes, or what he gives what he thinks is a summary of the law of Moses. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. This is a really, really good answer. Even Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. In other places in the Gospels, Jesus says that. So this guy has a really good grip on the ethics of the kingdom of God. How are you supposed to live your life if, to be in sync with God's will for your life? Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That implies a whole lot. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, okay. So uh, this is the man's answer. And Jesus says, well, you got the right answer. You do this and you will live. And then the man asks him this rather interesting question, who is my neighbor? Now, I hope all of you know who that is on the screen. Yes, it, maybe some of the young people don't. That's, that's Fred Rogers, all right? And uh, the brilliant, I think he, he was actually like a children's minister, Presbyterian children's minister at Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The wonderful television show gave great comfort to, to children. And uh, you need to watch the movie with Tom Hanks there. But I uh, put that up there tongue in cheek. But it's the question that the, that the man is asking. Who is my neighbor? Now, when you dig into the time of Jesus and you look at the law and you look at these passages of Scripture that this expert is pulling out to try and test Jesus and all of this, what you find is this question, who is my neighbor, was a great uh, debate in that time. 
So the, the rabbis and the scholars would debate this. And they'd say, what did Moses mean when he says, love your neighbor as yourself? Does that mean you're, you're the person near you? The Hebrew word for neighbor meant someone nearby. So does that just mean someone nearby? Does that mean someone who you know? Does that mean someone who you don't know? Does that mean your friend? Does that mean your enemy? What does he mean by neighbor? And there was a great debate about this, and they picked at this verse from Leviticus, trying to understand what is Moses saying with this question, who is my neighbor? So, of course, the expert in the law is going to put this question to Jesus and see where does Jesus side on this question of the interpretation of this little verse from Leviticus, extremely important verse, but where does Jesus side? And this is what he's trying to do. Who is my neighbor? How do you see it? How do you see it, Rabbi? And so you have two camps on this question in that time, two major camps. And you have uh, two groups of religious folks who we've met before um, in a previous sermon series. We talked about them, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? Do you remember the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees? We, we said it's easy to remember. A Sadducee, they're sad, you see, because... The Sadducees only accept the first five books of Moses, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, uh, not the Tanakh, sorry, the Pentateuch or the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they only accept those as inspired. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in the supernatural world. So they're sad, you see. So there, they have one view, and they only accepted the Torah there. And the Pharisees, which is a word that meant separate, it's kind of like they're religiously quite uh, holy, and they, they're very um, uh, separate from everybody else, and they live these sanctified lives and so on. This is a group that accepted the first five books, but they also accepted the rest of the Old Testament, or the whole Tanakh, as it's called in Hebrew. And they also accepted what was called the oral law. And the view of the oral law was that when Moses was on the mountain and God was giving him the commandments, he also explained to Moses how to apply those things and how to interpret those things. We don't find that in the Bible, but the rabbis and the sages of old say that, you know, the different writings of the Talmud and the Midrash and all these things contain uh, the interpretation of the oral law. So it's basically what did the rabbis think of what God said to Moses. You can think of it that way. So they accepted the Torah, the, the whole Old Testament, and this oral law also. And so the two different views were, the Sadducees were very, very, very strict about this. And what the Sadducees said, they pulled out of Leviticus chapter 21 and uh, a couple of places there. I put the references on your screen. And they said that a, a priest cannot become unclean. So the, the verses read this way. Speak to the priests, God is saying to Moses, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his, uh, uh, for any of his people who die. Remember, the, 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 the victim was left half dead. 
For any of them who die. Now, for Sadducee, if you were half dead and you were suffering and you were bleeding and you had all these other problems, you were as good as dead. So it's interesting that Jesus calls the victim half dead. That would have appealed to a Sadducee. So a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die except... For a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since she has no husband. Wow, highly technical. For her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. So strict rule for these priests. But for a high priest. The one among uh, the high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother. Wow nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. So the Sadducees said, we cannot touch the unclean thing. The, the, or the priest cannot do that. The priest cannot help that man on the road because he's, number one, been stripped naked. Number two, they've beaten him, he's bleeding. Number three, he's half dead. So a Sadducee would not touch him. They could not, and that's why you see the priest and the Levite walk by him on, in the story. Priests and Levites were Sadducees. The, the Levites were in charge of, of the articles of the temple, and the priest, the high priest, was a Sadducee. The Sadducees ran the whole temple uh, in Jerusalem. That was their ministry. That was their role. The Pharisees, on the other hand, at least the ones who weren't you know, too hypocritical, and we meet some hypocrites in Jesus' day, but the ones who weren't said, well, hold on, we've got to also accept the spirit spirit of the law and so you know because life is sacred to them so when there's a life at stake we supersede the law so for a pharisee they see the man who's on the road a pharisee who's not a hypocritical pharisee would say yeah but yes he's unclean but he's a life this is a life of a person so whether you're a priest or you're not a priest, you have an obligation to help that person because of they're alive. They're a person. They're, that's a life. And some Pharisees, we see some old parables where Pharisees even uh, came to, to the aid of, of people who had died, knowing that they were dead. And they felt like they were obligated to bury them because, because life is important and you supersede the law when you have life on the line. Now, again, we see some hypocritical Pharisees in Jesus' day. Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and they're all upset that he healed on the Sabbath. But a true Pharisee would say that this, this is life, and so we want to preserve life. And so this camp thought one way, and the Sadducees thought another way. Do you see the, you see the debate? So this is, they debated this passage that this man is asking to Jesus. But one thing that both groups agreed on, one thing was that a pagan, so one that didn't believe in Yahweh, believed in other gods, 
or a Samaritan was not your neighbor. If you were a pagan or you were a Samaritan, you were not the neighbor of the Jew. That's very important for you to understand. You say, what's a Samaritan? I'll explain in a moment. So you have this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. I use the stage because the stage is narrow. And it really worked out perfectly, actually, because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is like, I think it's 20 kilometers, if I remember correctly. It's very narrow. It's narrow. It's winding. There's big changes in the elevation. And it was known back then as being quite dangerous. I'll put a picture on your screen there. Uh, these are some, some people walking. This is the tail end of the road. They're headed toward Jericho there. And uh, it's, it's quite narrow. I have a video. Uh, we could get this going on the stream as well. Uh, it doesn't have any sound, so we won't have much sound issues there. But here's some guys who were walking on that road. See how narrow it is? And, and they're headed there on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Oh, I think it paused. Okay, let's see if it goes. Yeah, and see if the camera follows them. Yeah, and you can see. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's hiccuping. But anyway, you can see the, the how narrow it is, and it winds around. And as you're as you're walking through that road, uh, there can be problems because you don't see what's on the other side. And so it's quite easy. It would have been quite easy in that day. Uh, to get mugged on that road. I'll put the picture back on, okay? And so this is what's going on. It's very narrow. And you notice how the priest and the Levite had to squeeze around our victim like that because that's exactly what they would have to do. Jesus said they went to the other side when they saw him, the priest and the Levite. This is uh, hyperbole. The audience would say, well, you can't go to the other side of that road. We know that road. So that means it's not like they sort of ignored and pretended that the that the, the victim wasn't there. They had to make an intentional effort to step around him because the road was so narrow. So the, the priest and the Levite are very, very deliberate in staying away from this half-dead, stripped and beaten and robbed victim. They're extremely deliberate. That's the point. And they, so they had no choice if they're following the law. If they're following what we just read out of Leviticus chapter 21, they had no choice but to not touch him. Now, us in the 21st century, we look at, these, at, at them and we say, oh, you know, what, this religious, uh, hypocritical religious people, and, you know, the, the victim is right there. The, the, the road is like two feet wide. And they're, they're avoiding him because of some religious law. And we get angry with them and we say, these, that's not what the original audience would think. The original audience would think, well, of course, it's a priest and a Levite. They can't. They're obligated by the law of Moses to not touch this man, especially if the Sadducees and the priest and the Levite were both Sadducees, because for them, half dead coupled with naked and bleeding meant you're all dead. <laughs> you can't touch them at all. Unclean, unclean, unclean. So they're doing pretty well what's expected. So you say, well, what, what is the audience looking for? Well, the audience is looking to see what side is Jesus going to fall on. 
So he paints the Sadducees as the ones who are going around the, around the, the, the body, the half-dead man. And so the rest of the audience is thinking, oh, he's going to pull a Pharisee out now. And the Pharisee is going to go help the man. And so he's going, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take the side of the Pharisees on this argument, who is my neighbor. And so he's going to make the Sadducees look bad. So if you're a Pharisee in the audience, you're going, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see what the third guy does. You're going to put it to those Pharisees, those Sadducees and stick it to those Sadducees. We don't like them anyway. And now the rabbi is on our side. <laughs> and they're waiting for him to pull a Pharisee out of his hat. And what Jesus does is disappoint all of them. And he pulls a Samaritan into the story. A Samaritan of all people, he decides to put a Samaritan. Now, who are the Samaritans? Um, History, Jewish history, way back, uh, 8th century B.C., the Assyrians would conquer uh, 10 tribes of Israel in the north. And they would, uh, they would violently conquer that land. They would, uh, they would take the people captive. They would bring them to Assyria. But the Assyrians had a custom in that they would populate a land that they conquered with other people that they conquered. So the Assyrians brought into the remnant of Israel all these other people, people who followed different gods and different religious views, into Israel. And they intermarried with the remnant of Jewish people who were in Israel. And so the, the children, the, the, the generations of children born to them were called Samaritans. They established their own uh, kind of religious view. It was a mix of, of the pagan views of the Assyrians and the people who they had uh, made captive and the Jewish religion. So it was a mishmash. And so they weren't viewed well at all by the Jews from the south in Judea and Jerusalem. They weren't viewed well by them at all. They were viewed as kind of half, half breeds, half Jewish. Yes, they believed the first five books of the Bible. They call it the Samaritan Pentateuch. They made their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. That's why when Jesus runs into the Samaritan woman, she talks about where, where should we worship? And she says, well, the, the Samaritans say in Samaria, you know, and, she, and Jesus has a conversation with her about this. And so you've got a kind of a different, different brand of Judaism in a sense, but it's mixed with paganism. So the Jews would look at them and they would, it was, they were disgusted with the Samaritans. This is why the rabbis who didn't like Jesus called him a Samaritan. They said, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? It was like the lowest of the low on the spiritual totem pole was the Samaritan. Even worse than a, than a pagan was a Samaritan. And so they're descended from the conquered peoples of the Assyrians who intermarried with the Jewish remnant in Israel. That's who they were. And Jesus puts a Samaritan into this story. So it's a real twist. He, and with that, he's got the Pharisees who are listening in shock. He's got the Sadducees in shock because he's put a Samaritan who they loathe. Both of those groups loathed Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. Samaritans and Jews didn't walk in the in the, the same areas together. It was too dangerous. They were killing each other, these two groups. So very, very bad uh, view. And Jesus puts him in the story 
And he's the one. The Samaritan is the one. And the Samaritans accepted the first five books. Again, they had what they called the Samaritan Pentateuch. They accepted the first five books just like a Sadducee would accept the first five books. And here you have a Samaritan doing the right thing and helping this victim. He doesn't even know the person. We use the term Good Samaritan around the world to describe people who, who help the stranger, who, who uh, on an impulse will help someone who they may not know. And we say that's a Good Samaritan, but we don't know the story so well. But this is what Jesus is doing, and he's driving this home, and he's bringing this Samaritan into the story. You with me so far? You see where this is going? Because the way that we typically interpret this parable it's not the wrong way, it's just we're missing a layer. Is we say that the, 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 the neighbor who should be loved is the victim. And that's the way that we read the story and we put the story down. We say, yes, you should help your neighbor. You should help the victim. You should help the person who's stumbled into unfortunate circumstances. And you, you should help them even though you don't know them. You should do that. Yes, you should do that. But that's not what Jesus is driving at. That's obvious. He's driving at something much, much deeper and much more difficult. Remember, and here's the point of the parable. Remember what the expert in the law asked. Remember, he says, who is my neighbor? In other words, the, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisees say this. The Sadducees say, say, Sadducees say that. What do you say? How do you interpret it? Who is my neighbor that I should love as myself? That's what he's asking specifically. He wants to know Jesus' take on this debate. What does Jesus answer with this parable at the end? He puts the guy in a corner because he says, and this is the genius of Jesus' question, he says, which of these three was a neighbor? He doesn't, he doesn't say, which of the four people are you supposed to love as yourself? No, he narrows it down to three. He's got the victim out of the question. And he says, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who is my neighbor that I should love as myself? Which of these three was a neighbor? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's putting the man into a corner, and the man has to answer correctly. And he says, well, the one who had mercy on him, go and do likewise. So here's the question, who is my neighbor? The neighbor who the expert in the law should love as himself is who? This is where, you're, this is where it's going to twist you, is who? Sadducees and the Pharisees, no more specific. You've only got a few choices. The, the neighbor who the expert in the law should love as himself, the answer to his question, who is my neighbor who I should love as myself? Here's a clue. Both of those groups hated Samaritans. Who is the neighbor who he should love as himself? Is it the victim? Well, yes, I mean, but that's obvious. 
That's obvious, right? It's, uh, it's uh, so obvious. That's why Jesus told it in a way that they had to wiggle around him. It's so obvious. Of course, you're supposed to help the guy. But Jesus is driving at a more deep issue. He's saying to that expert in the law who hates Samaritans. He's saying to the Sadducees who hate them. He's saying to the Pharisees who hate them. Who is the neighbor that you should love as yourself? You want to know the ethics of the kingdom of God? Let me tell you the ethics. The neighbor that you should love as yourself is? It's the Samaritan. This is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is what Jesus taught in the Gospels. This is what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. This ethic of his kingdom is harder than helping the victim. It's you love your enemy. Wow, what a story. And he just says, go and do likewise. And it ends. You don't see a response from the expert in the law. It just, the, it, the, the narrative moves on. So Jesus, he does not side with the Pharisee. He does not side with the Sadducee. He's against both of their views because both of them hate Samaritans. And so he pulls a Samaritan in there who they felt that if there was anybody ineligible to be my neighbor, it would be the Samaritan. And Jesus says, that's exactly your problem. That's exactly the person who you should love today is your Samaritan. So the question for them is the same question for us. Who is your Samaritan Today, who is the person who you can't stand, who, who you stay away from that person? You don't want to talk to that. Maybe you're, it may be someone in your own family, and you haven't spoken to that person in years. You can't stand that person. You can't stand that person at work. You can't stand that person at school. You have a, a strong, strong dislike of that person. Jesus is saying, that's the person that you should love as yourself. That's, that's really, really hard. Say, but, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't, it's not talking about that. It's not talking, the issue is not forgiveness and not forgiveness. That's a separate issue. It's not talking about that. We did that last week with the unmerciful servant. But as a general principle of the kingdom, you are to love your neighbor as yourself, even if that neighbor is your enemy. Now, I'd like the musicians, if they would come and they'd play softly at the end here, we're just going to finish and to pray. But uh, we have a very, very relevant situation that's happening now. Look at what's happening. You have one nation not loving their neighbor as himself, but bombing their neighbor and trying to take them over. You have a nation that it, that is doing this and here you have this parable of Jesus which is actually quoting an ethic from the old testament law that's 3500 years old love your neighbor as yourself apparently it's not that easy to do because we have nations going after nations now not just an individual going after an individual but a nation going after a nation. It wasn't easy for the people in Jesus' day either. 
You had this, these religious groups who loathed the Samaritans, who couldn't stand the Samaritans. Who did Jesus spend time with? Samaritans. Where did the gospel go in the book of Acts? Samaria. And to all the ends of the earth. This is the ethic of the kingdom. So the question we have to wrestle with, who is that Samaritan in your life today? Uh, again, maybe it's a person in your school. Maybe it's a person at your work. Maybe it's someone in your family. And it's literally years you have not spoken to that person, nor have they spoken to you. That's the person who God is calling you to love. It doesn't mean that, that you have to be a hypocrite. It means you have to be a Christ follower, a disciple. And the disciple treats even that enemy the same way. They would, the, 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 if your enemy is, is thirsty, we talked about it last week, what do you do? You give them something to drink. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You give them something to eat. It's up to God to, to, to mete out his consequences and his own vengeance to those people who hurt you. But your obligation as a Christ follower is being called on today. Who is your Samaritan today? Father, I pray for each person who's in the room, each person who's watching online, those who will watch, those who will listen. And Lord, I pray that this, this ethic that you have called us to, as we survey the world around us, God, as we survey our own personal lives, this ethic that you have called us to is so high Lord, it's, it's, it's so beyond anything that comes natural for us. I pray that by your Spirit's power, you would enable us to live differently than what may come naturally or what may come instinctively. But we would live as you say, and as disciples of Jesus, we would be looking for those Samaritans in our lives. And we would be loving not only those, those uh, victims on the road, as it were, but God also those people who that they're the furthest from our minds as to who we would love. I pray you would challenge people. I pray you would speak to people, oh God, and that uh, those around us would notice, wow, why would they behave that way to somebody who's their enemy? Why would they be so different? That's what you want us to follow. Enable us to do that, Lord, by your Spirit's power, we pray. And I wonder before we finish today, if there's anybody in your, you're in the room today and uh, you, you have a greater problem than uh, you and somebody else who's a Samaritan in your life. The problem that you have is between you and God. And you and God are not friends. Uh, you and God are kind of enemies. And you see God one way, uh, but God is reaching out to you and he's trying to call you to himself and he's trying to say, I'm right here for you. I'm right here, uh, even in this room. Uh, would you surrender to me? And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer on your behalf and you can pray this prayer uh, out loud or privately you can pray when you go home it doesn't matter it's the authenticity that god is looking for not the, there's no magic behind the prayer uh, but it goes it goes something along the lines of god have mercy upon me uh, a sinner lord uh, i am i am uh, against you lord uh, my ways have been my own and my uh 
my ambitions have been selfish and my uh, I have been my own God and Lord I have resisted you and I've pushed you away but I see that you want to to uh, have me I see that you want me to be a part of your kingdom I see that you want me to live differently so Jesus I thank you that you died for my sin and that you want to change me from the inside out and I receive your gift of forgiveness of sin even at this moment Uh, take my life Lord and uh, help me to to grow in a relationship with you amen Amen. If you prayed that prayer or something like it, or you have questions along those lines, would you please reach out to me? I will be hanging around here kind of at the front, uh, but I'm very reachable electronically. All of our info is on our website, citypointchurch.ca. God bless you. Make sure you pick up your kids if they're in number 11. Have a wonderful Sunday. And those of you who are on March break, enjoy your March break. God bless you, everyone.